You know, as the election for the President of the United States uh, begins to draw closer, you know, I found myself entering into quite a few lively discussions with believers, maybe even some of you. As time goes on, there seems to be a lot of people who are concerned for our country and for its direction. And specifically, I find that they are concerned about things like uh, religious freedoms and liberties and uh, also the area of the economy and, of course, morality. And I think this year's election really is causing even more tension than most because of the two primary candidates that you have to choose from. And I think that this has kind of caused a unique uh, problem. Uh, on one hand, we have a gentleman who uh, I respect because he's the President of the United States. I respect him and pray for him uh, often, um, who claims to be a believer uh, in Jesus Christ. But uh, the truth is the fruit, as far as I'm concerned, really kind of dictates something a little bit different. Uh, the morality which has come that he has stood on is not the morality of what I believe teaches in the Word of God. And so there's a struggle there. Uh, there's also a struggle on the other side for people because uh, the other possible uh, uh, person that we would elect is a Mormon. And for you who don't know this, Mormonism is not like a, a, a denomination. It's not another denomination of Christianity. Instead, Mormonism is a cult, very clearly a cult. Um, it uh, propagates a false gospel uh, based on a false concept and understanding of the person of Jesus Christ. And so very serious-minded believers who really, uh, who really take uh, the gospel seriously and the nature of the gospel seriously and who want to keep it pure, uh, really for them it's an impossibility to even think about electing such a man to office. And so it's very difficult. So they find themselves struggling, I think primarily because uh, they're thinking, well, listen, I really can't vote for the better candidate. For me, I find myself, they would say, I find they feel like they find themselves voting for the lesser of two evils. And so they really don't know what to do there. Well, let me just say this to you this morning is I understand how you feel. I understand maybe your frustration. I understand maybe even your hesitance. Um, and I've had to work through this biblically and theologically, just like you have to work through it biblically and theologically. And so uh, let me say this, though, uh, to, just to begin this whole thing. I don't believe withholding or, uh, your vote or not voting at all is an option. I don't believe it's a viable option for the believer in Jesus Christ. And what I do is I reference there Matthew chapter 25 and verses 14 through 30, there, Jesus tells a parable about uh, uh, the talents, and there is a man, and he's a master, and he's about to go away for a long period of time. And as he, before, right before he leaves, he tells his servants, uh, he gives them a different number of talents. One he gives five, to another two, and to another one he gives only one. And the purpose of him entrusting them with these, these talents are for them not to spend in any way that they want or to do whatever it is that they want with them, but rather are used to promote his purposes. And so he goes off and he comes back to see how they've done. And he finds out that two of them did very well, the one with the five talents and the one with the two, and he commends them greatly, calls them faithful servants because they advanced his purposes with what he had entrusted them with. 
Well, there is one servant that he's not happy with at all. In fact, he's outraged. His anger begins to burn towards him. He calls him an unfaithful servant, not because he sowed uh, or invested wrongly, but really, if you look at the text, it's because he didn't invest it at all. He just went out and he buried that talent and he did nothing with what he was entrusted for. He didn't even make an effort to propagate into position and to bring forth the purposes of his master who had entrusted him with that talent. And so in the same way, I believe with all of my heart that God has given us all good things and he has allowed us and blessed us to live in a country where he's entrusted us with one vote. And with that vote, you and I are supposed to be doing everything we possibly can to be promoting the purposes of God. Not my purpose or your purpose or what you would like to see or maybe what I would like to see carnally or in my flesh, but rather, what does God want us to do and what is God's purposes? I need to vote according to that. But what, what we find is this is, where are we to start with all of this? If we are to kind of advance his purposes, there are so many different issues that are really, really so important. Things about concerning the poor, social programs, there's the economy, there's marriage, there's the sanctity of life. There's so many things that really are so important to so many people. But which of these are the most important to God? And I think where we need to begin this morning is by asking a specific question. And I think that this is key to navigating through kind of this election mess. The question we need to begin with is this, is what is God's purpose for government? What is God's purpose for government? Now, let me tell you why I believe that that's such an important question. Because I believe that we all have different ideas of what we believe the government ought to be doing, right? I ask people, some people believe you should be doing a little of this or a little bit of that, but because of our backgrounds, our differing backgrounds and our socioeconomic backgrounds and how we view things and where we were brought up, that all dictates how we believe or what we believe the government should ultimately be doing. For many believers, they've really uh, been taught what the government should do more by cable networks and cable news like CNN or Fox News than they have by the word of God itself. Well, folks, if we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God, then we need to see what the word of God says about such issues and what God says the purpose of government ought to be. Once we determine that, then once we understand it, then we can seek to determine which candidate appears intent in fulfilling God's purpose that God has set out for the creation of government to begin with. Does that make sense? Y'all following me? All right, y'all looking a little fuzzy, just want to make sure that we're clear. So now, the reason, again, that, and stop and think just for a minute, that there are so many different things that are so important, so we want to say, okay, God, we know it might be important to us, but what's important to you, let's figure out why you've given us the government to begin with. Now, when we look through the Word of God, government is mentioned all through the Old Testament and all through the New Testament. But when we're specifically trying to understand what the Bible says the purpose of government is, there are two primary texts that come to mind. The first is found in Romans chapter 13 and verses 1 through 7, but we'll look specifically this morning through 1 through 5. And the other is 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 13 through 14. We're going to camp out in Romans, but I'll reference 1 Peter. First of all, there's two things I want you to see in Romans 13, 1 through 5. The first thing is the origin of government itself. Now, notice, if you will, in verse 1, chapter 2 and verse 1. 
He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Oh, excuse me. Wrong chapter. I knew immediately it was off. All right, 13, verse 1. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Did you notice what, Roman, what, what Paul's saying? He's saying, hey, this government, that, this institution that you have was given by God. It was appointed by him, the scriptures say. It says that it was instituted by him at the end of verse 1. It says no authority except from God exists, that is government apart from God. Jesus affirms this exact teaching in John 19 and verse 11 when he's standing before Pilate. There he says to Pilate, he says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it unless it had been given to you from above. So both Jesus and both Paul are saying, listen, government comes from God. Now that's contrary to some teaching that we hear today. Because what we hear a lot of is this, or at least I do, I hear a lot of, listen, um, government is evil. But the Bible says that government is not inherently evil. It's actually good. Why? Because every good and perfect give comes from above. God has given it to us. And because God is holy, because God is good, that which he gives us, we can be assured, is good. In Judges chapter 18 and verse 25, or excuse me, chapters 18 through chapter 25, we see just how good government is. Because there in those chapters, what we find is we read of some of the most horrendous sins imaginable to mankind. And, what, and the reason is because there was no effective government that was ruling and reigning during the time of, uh, uh, of, of those occurrences. In fact, Judges 17 verse 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, which means there was no strong government. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And when everybody does what is right in his own eyes, there's chaos. Chaos ensues. Now, government in and of itself, is not inherently evil, but that does not mean that governments cannot do evil things. They do evil things. And there could certainly be evil and wicked rulers. We've seen that throughout history, but the Bible affirms this. Uh, John the Baptist rebuked Herod in Luke chapter, thir- or Luke chapter 3, verse 19. He says, for all the evil things that Herod had done. David rebuked uh, or told Nebuchadnezzar, and he said, break off your sins by practicing righteousness. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 27. So please understand, again, don't be all freaked out by government. Government in and of itself is not inherently evil. It has been given of God for a specific purpose. So its origin is in God, and its purpose ought also to be from God. What is the purpose of government according to the word of God? Well, It says it's primarily one thing, but it's one sentence consisting of two things. Look, beginning in verse 3, if you will. He says here, the first priority of government is to punish evil. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And then when you work your way down to verse 4, it says this, for he is God's servant For your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
So one of the key responsibilities, mandates of the government is to judge and to punish and to restrain that which is evil inside of the world. But it's not only to punish evil, it's also to encourage good. If you would look up a little bit back up at the end of verse 3, he says, then do what is good and you will receive his approval. The word approval there uh, specifically means to reward or to praise. He's talking about the governing body, the person in, in, in power. He says, if you do good, they should approve of you. They should reward you. They should help you and praise you for doing those things. Now, we can see examples of this in, in, in our society today of how the, how the government does both of these, how it punishes evil and how it encourages good. How does it punish evil? Why, by giving us laws. Very clear-cut laws. Now, sometimes there's too many laws, but they give those laws for us to try to suppress evil. They give the laws, and then they give a severe punishment for those laws so that when a person's thinking, hey, I might want to kill Mike, they might read that it is unlawful to do so in the United States, and these are the punishments that will be incurred to you. So what it does is it, it kind of persuades them not to do what maybe sinfully they're ultimately desiring to do. So that's what they do. And if somebody does what's wrong, they are to punish them and enact justice on them. That's what God calls them to do. But they're also to encourage that which is good. How do they do that? Well, in many ways. Some people sit back and they say, say they give a special tax to those who are married, a special uh, married, like a tax exemption for being married. And they're promoting people not to just live together, but actually to be married with each other. That's a good thing. Another way in which they promote good and encourage good is when the government allows a church to be tax-exempt. Um, they believe that churches are there for the good of the public and the community, and so if they're doing well, they want to reward them by allowing them to free up more of their money to do even more good. Do you see how that works? So the Bible says that the ultimate mandate, or at least Paul says the ultimate mandate, is to both punish evil and to encourage good. Now, Peter says the same thing. Let me read to you what Peter says. First Peter chapter 2 and verses 13 through 14. Listen very carefully. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him, now notice this, to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. So according to the scriptures again, and I know I sound redundant, but I want to make it very clear. So the mandate bestowed upon government, given to government, its primary purpose that God has given that institution is to punish evil and to encourage good. Now, the question comes up, well, what about all the other things that are, are important to us? What about important things? Aren't feeding the poor? Isn't feeding the poor important? Isn't social programs important? Isn't the economy important? Isn't health care important? And what I would say is yes, all of those things are important. But none of those have been mandated by God to the government. You may want the government to do a lot of things. You may want the government to, uh, to, to give you money. You may want the government to give you all sorts of types of things. But the bottom line is the key that God says the primary responsibility of the government is to punish those who are wicked and to encourage, reward those who are ultimately good. Now, why is this particular question or why are this truth so essential for us understanding and why does this impact the way that we vote? Well, if God's mandate is for the government to do these things, to restrain evil, 
to resist evil, to judge evil, to punish evil, and to encourage and to, and, and, and to praise those who are doing good, then guess what? You and I must demand the same thing from those who are going to rule, from the government. We can't ask them to do anything more and we can require of nothing less of them. Again, we may want other things from our government. We may, may want them to provide for the poor. But the truth of the matter is, stop and think about it, God never gave that mandate to, to, to the government. Whose mandate is that? It's the church. It's yours. And it's mine. You know, I, I always have a problem when I sit back and hear somebody going, you know, I just feel bad for the poor. The, the, the government should be given more money, but they won't give one penny to those in need around them. It's ridiculous. God didn't give that. And God did not give the mandate of the government to determine your, so, your, your social stature or your economic uh, uh, um, responsibility or what you ultimately have. If you don't have, the government was not called to give you more. Do, do, do you got that? That's not what the Bible calls the government ultimately to be able to do. So we can't ask the government to do something that the God has not mandated them to do. Likewise, we can't demand them, those in ruling over us, those in government, to believe something that God doesn't mandate them to believe. Now, now we're going to go back to the whole Mormon issue again. People have asked me several times, Brother Mike, does it bother you that one of the candidates is a Mormon? And I say to them, yes. Because if he dies apart from the true gospel without repenting and believing, he's going to go to hell. Doesn't that concern you? And they say, well, that's not really what I mean, what concerns me. Don't you concern, aren't you concerned of whether you can vote for him or not? And I sit there and say, listen, I'm not telling you whether I'm voting for him or not, but I will tell you this. Voting for him, whether he's a Mormon or not, has no bearing on whether I'm allowed, according to the Scripture, to vote for him or not. The Bible doesn't say that the person has to have our exact theology. The Bible says what he has to have is a sense, now catch this, a sense of morality. If this man, this president of the United States, is going to punish that which is evil... And if he is going to encourage and praise that which is good, then he must have some type of moral bearing where he can understand and distinguish the difference between that which is evil and that which is good. Are you with me? And so what the Bible says again is, 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 is he has to understand right from wrong, but who's right from wrong? Because the Bible teaches us that there are some that see what is good and they call it evil and some see what is evil and they call it good. And the Bible warns us of such men. It says in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. So whose standard of right and wrong is he supposed to be upholding? God's. God's standard. Not mine, not yours, not anybody else, but God's. Now, how do you know what kind of moral compass this individual has? Well, it depends on their platform, their political platform. The, every pol politician uh, uh, runs on a political platform. If you want to know what their values are, it's found within their political platform. If you want to know what their value, morals are, it's found in their political platform. Are you, are you guys with me? And this is what is so unnerving. Because, and this is where people are going to get a little bit flustered, 
Okay, let, let me tell you this. Uh, my family, all right, there, there's two primary political parties, all right? You'd probably be surprised what side my family grew up with. As a matter of fact, uh, here, here's why. Um, the parties have really changed over years because it used to be primarily really kind of uh, uh, monetar- monetary differences of what you should ultimately do with money, okay? What you should do with the economy, how the economy, whether it should be from the top down or from the bottom up and all those sorts of things. But what has happened is now there are clear-cut distinctions in morality. Do you, do, do you understand? And so what we're doing is we have to... And, and what 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 kind of made me very nervous and very uncomfortable, by the way, as I'm going through this, pray for me, okay? All right, so someone doesn't shoot me or throw something at me, all right? Like in, you know, throw a shoe, like in the Muslim world, all right? Don't do that, okay? So I just want to work through this. So you see kind of these two different parties, and I was shocked by one of the platforms of one of the, uh, of the two primary political parties. Because as I was sitting there and watching them and talking about what it was, what I realized, and John MacArthur states this so clearly, he says that their, their whole platform is based on the sins found in Romans 1. Their whole platform is found and based on things that God says that he hates. And if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about in Romans 1, in the beginning of Romans 1, God says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The Bible teaches that God has judged throughout history and will judge in the future all nations who suppress the truth and call evil good and good evil. And we have a political party who has done that very thing. And within chapter 1, what we see is we see this party's stances on these five particular issues. Number one, the party promotes sexual promiscuity by a desire to be able to give out free contraceptives, free condoms within the schools and for people, and then also being allowed and willing and passing a law that would allow at will for a woman to be able to kill and murder her unborn child what they're trying to do is resi- uh, uh, diminish the, um, uh, the uh, consequences of premarital sex. And by doing so, what they're saying is, hey, listen, we're for sexual promiscuity to each his own. And the Bible says here in Romans chapter 24, it has something, or Romans chapter 1 verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So this party calls sexual promiscuity good, but God calls it evil. Second, this party embraces homosexuality. They say that homosexuality is an alternative lifestyle that should be recognized as such without condemnation. And let me say this. If you're dealing with homosexuality, we love you. We love you. We're all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is as deserving as hell as the next. We all struggle with different types of sins. It may not be homosexuality, but our sin is just as grotesque as yours. And I want to let you know there's a God that loves you, and I believe a God that can free you. And he died for you on the cross to be able to free you from the bonds of sin if you'll turn from him and be able to repent. But I just want you to understand the Bible calls it 
wickedness. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 26 and 27, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This party, call, this party calls homosexuality good. God calls it evil. Third, this party seeks to destroy God's design for marriage. They want to redefine marriage and suggest that legal marriage should include members of the same sex. That a man marrying a man and a woman marrying a man a woman should be a woman marrying a woman should be viewed by the law as equally as valid as between one man and one woman should receive and be given the same rights and the same privileges. Promoting a homosexual lifestyle in Romans one versus or excuse me a a um, uh, for people again to destroy uh, marriage by promoting that homosexual lifestyle again Romans one twenty six through twenty seven. This party says that to oppose God's design for marriage is good, and God says that it is evil. Number four, the party seeks to reject the existence of God. They purposely look, they purposely took any mention out of their party from their platform. If you listen to what they stood for on that platform, this particular party just flat out said, do not mention God within our platform, we want him out. When the party began to try to get the mention of God back in there because they realized it wasn't playing well in the media, they tried to make an exemption and add an amendment to be able to add God to it, and they could barely pass it. They had to do it three times. They asked for a call and for a vote to add God to their platform, and they said all in favor say yes. Some said yes. But I think the majority said no, and they had to vote three times, and finally they passed it more because of the political ramifications than because of conscience or because of what they believed about the word. Now, let me say this. I don't mind at all that they left the name God out of their platform. In fact, both parties need to leave God off of their platform because none of them really are worthy of God. And so they did the right thing there, but it demonstrates that they wanted to have nothing to do with God. Fifth, this party seeks to murder as they promote abortion. The party had done all that they can to promote women's rights uh, at the expense of the lives of innocent babies. Romans chapter 1 and verse 28 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Paul goes on to say, enlist, murder, and abortion is in all, uh, in, in every capacity is murder. Now, of all the sins, let me just say this, of all the sins that we've listed so far, this is by far the most sickening and the most wicked and the most demonic. And I'm telling you, if there was a candidate that just held this one thing, they're unacceptable to me, even if they were right on all the other issues. Because there is nothing more wicked than murder and killing of innocent babies. Satan loved to do it throughout history. He did it in the Old Testament. He did it when, when in the Old Testament when Moses was coming upon the scene. Did it again when Jesus came upon the scene. And all of a sudden, babies were being murdered one after the other. 
Now, Psalm chapter Psalm 82 and verses 1 through 4 says this. God speaks and condemns earthly rulers when he says, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Now listen. If the government is to restrain evil and protect the innocent then for a politician to support and promote the entering into a woman's body, into attacking a defenseless baby, and to rip that baby to pieces from that womb, then he fails to do the very thing that God has called him to do, to punish the wicked and to be able to encourage that which is good. Do you understand? Do you understand? Now, I know what happens, and this is what's so terrifying to me, is that when Clinton was running, I remember that there was an article in, in a newspaper, a well-known newspaper, a farmer from Kingston Springs, Tennessee, claimed to be an evangelical Christian, like many of us. And this is what he ultimately said there. He said within that whole the thing, he says, look, there's a lot of different issues. And he goes, and the truth is, I disagree with President Clinton on a lot of things. He says, one of them is certainly abortion. He goes, I think it's horrible. He goes, but what I do agree on is his, his handling of the economy. And because he, he, I believe he's going to do well in the economy, then I'm really kind of forced to ultimately take my vote and to be able to vote for him. And folks, let me tell you this. To do such a thing, to vote your economy over God's economy, to vote such a way based on this criteria is not only a vote to bring the wrath of God down on the United States, but it is also to bring the wrath of God down on you. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You know, I think for so many, the, last week if you were here, I kind of had this little outburst I kind of Jesus juked you. You know, if you were here last week where I kind of said, you know, how dare you? You're more concerned with the economy of, 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 of America than you are the economy of God. I'd say go and listen to it on the, uh, on, on the internet, but we didn't put that one on there. So uh, you can't go listen to it. Uh, but, but, but let me explain a couple things for you. We don't have a government problem. We have a church problem. We have a problem with God's people. One of the big problems that we have is that we are looking to government to do all the things that you and I are supposed to be doing. That God has told us to do. And so what we need to do is we need to get busy. Guys, do you wonder why we do Simple Church and we don't spend millions upon millions of dollars for your entertainment? Why we don't every other week have a hot dog giveaway and a weenie roast for you and for me to get together and sit around and be able to complain about things? Is because we want to take every nickel, every dime, every penny to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ for him to redeem people not only in this country but around the world. If you, want to, if you really truly care about your country, then propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then be serious about being a witness for Jesus Christ. With everything that you have, with your ability, with your speech, with your mind, with your money, with your gifts, sit there and say, I care for the world in which we live and I care for the lost. 
then get serious about what God has called you to do. How do we navigate through this? Number one, understand God's purpose for government. We cannot hold the government to be or to do or to believe anything that God has not ascribed and given them uh, that particular purpose to be able to fulfill. He has told them to punish that which is evil and to encourage that which is good. You must take that purpose and you must look at whatever candidates you're going to vote on and you must ask yourself the question, which one of these will uphold God's purposes the most clear? Which one will ultimately punish that which is wicked and encourage that which is good. I don't care what your economy looks like. I don't care what you think the government should do. If you are a child of God, you must ascribe to the word of God. Now, what I want to do at this time is going to be a different kind of, kind of invitation. We're just going to have a time of prayer for our country. And we're going to have a time of prayer for your heart and the heart of other believers around this nation. And we're going to have a heart a prayer for ourselves because it's not only our country, we need to have a prayer for our church and for our churches. And we need to pray for the election. We pray, need to pray that God's purposes will be fulfilled and it begins with you. Do you understand? So let's do that. I'm going to ask my brother. He's going to come and he's going to begin to sing for us in just a moment. But we're going to have a time of prayer. I guess they've got, oh, there he is right there, okay? Let's go ahead and stand at this time. If you want to come forward and you want to begin to pray, you can begin to pray out here.